need to find a place where you can go to meet women who share your interests. Well, maybe I don't want to meet someone who shares my interests. I hate my interests. Yeah, yeah, just list your five main interests in order of importance. Uh, I'd have to put traditional jazz, blues, uh, and then ragtime at the top of the list. Right, then... so let's just say music. That way we only use up one. Hello, welcome to Songs in the Key of, a podcast about songs. These might be old songs, new songs, or middle-aged songs. Anything that takes my fancy, really. Sometimes these shows will be themed around an idea, a person, a genre, or some other concept. Other times they will simply reflect my latest obsessions, my new favourite bands. Those songs I can't get out of my head. So, let's get on with it. This time... What with the events of the Oscars still reverberating as memes around social media, I thought maybe it would be a good time to have another look at songs from films. So, welcome to Attack of the Revenge, the songs in the key of cinema, The Return. In 1982, the director Godfrey Reggio created the film Koyaniskatsi, its title taken from the Hopi word for life out of balance. It's a wordless documentary showing images from around the world and humankind's effect on the environment. With no words, there is a great deal of reliance on the soundtrack to help convey the mood of the piece, all of which is done with spectacular vision by Philip Glass as might be expected from the composer so linked to the minimalist movement, the soundtrack makes much use of heavy repetition. Take Pruitt Agoe, for example, which opens with a gloomy, foreboding string arpeggio pattern before descending into something utterly brutal, with heavy on the bass brass and piercing trumpets before being joined in by the intensity of a choir who sound like they've come straight from a meeting of the local chapter of an evil cult. It's the sound of trouble at dark satanic mill, nights on bare mountains, and absolute utter menace. And obviously, I love it. scene of Gross Point Blank starring John Cusack in his second best role features our hero, if hero is the right word for an amoral hitman, 
driving around in a suitably expensive-looking sports car to the soundtrack of the Violent Femmes' Blisters in the Sun. It's a wonderful introduction to the film, a throwback to the songs the movie's characters all about to attend a high school reunion would have been listening to between classes in the 80s. And it captures so much of the insecurity that Cusack's slightly neurotic, commitment-averse character experiences throughout the film. Despite lots of rumours on the internet that the song is all about masturbation, the Violent Femmes maintain in a video interview with Rolling Stone that it isn't, although they're a bit vague about what exactly it is about. Although lines about being strung out and high as a kite could point us in the right direction. Ultimately though, what makes it is the acoustic guitar riffs and the frenetic drumming, along with the rather frantic singing. And if you don't believe me, just listen to this. When I'm a walking, I strap my stuff and I'm so strung out. I'm high as a kite, I just might stop to check you out. Let me go on, like I blister in the sun. Let me go on, big hands, I know you're the one. Body and beats, I stain my sheets, I don't even know Wes Anderson's films have always been rather weird and absolutely wonderful, a mix of kookiness and tenderness and generally always featuring Bill Murray. Rushmore from 1998 was a brilliantly understated gem with its title character played by Jason Schwartzman, desperate to impress his teacher on whom he has a crush by any extracurricular means necessary, building, for example, an aquarium on the school's baseball pitch. The Royal Tenenbaums, his next film, released in 2001, took things up a level with a much larger cast including Angelica Houston, Gene Hackman, Luke and Owen Wilson, Gwyneth Paltrow, Danny Glover, Ben Stiller and, of course, Bill Murray. The film centred again around misfit characters, in this case three siblings recovering from their overachieving childhoods, Luke Wilson's tennis pro, Gwyneth Paltrow's prodigy playwright, and Ben Stiller's young entrepreneur. It's a bittersweet, quirky story of people who can't quite cope with the cards they have been dealt, a large part of the story revolving around the effects parents have on their children, with the ne'er-do-well father played by Gene Hackman in particular need of redemption. The soundtrack perfectly matches the offbeat, gentle feel of the film, with music from Nick Drake, The Velvet Underground, Elliot Smith and the Vince Guaraldi trio, with incidental music from Mark Mothersbaugh. But one of the finest songs from the film is the understated The Fairest of the Seasons by Nico. It's a gorgeous song, full of questions, an anthem for the troubled and undecided. Just what exactly should I do? It's almost like the clashes should I stay or should I go on particularly strong sedatives. And the instrumentation behind it. Beneath Nico's gorgeous German accent, there's the gentlest of meandering guitar parts and a beautiful, beautiful, beautifully rich string quartet that would be almost as wonderful to hear 
without the singing over the top. It is absolutely delicious. Now that it's time, now that the hour hand is landed at the end, now that it's real, now that the dreams have given all they had to lend, I want to know. Stay or do I go and maybe try another time? And do I really have a hand in my forgetting? Now that I've tried, now that I've finally found that this is not the way, now that I turn. Now that I feel it's time to spend the night away, I want to know: Do I stay or do I go? And maybe finally split the rhyme. And do I really understand the undernetting? Yes, and the morning has me looking in your eyes and. As a two for the price of one feature, I now bring you a piece of music that is featured in both a 90s Richard Dreyfus vehicle by the name of Mr. Holland's Opus and, more recently, the George VI biopic The King's Speech. The second movement, the Allegretto, from Beethoven's Seventh Symphony is a profoundly moving piece of music, a picture of restraint, where you can see beneath the cracks a whirlwind of passion just beneath the surface. There's something almost funereal about the opening moments. That dum da da dum dum ceremonial march of foreboding. All the interchange later on between the strings feels like a conversation within Beethoven's head. Should I do this? What if I do that instead? But what about this? What about that? I really don't know what to do, but I need to do something because it's all driving me mad. Most of the time when I'm listening to classical music, it tends to be Rachmaninoff. But when I'm not listening to him, I'll be pulling out the old Ludwig van and listening to this absolutely beautiful piece of musical magnificence.
When it came out, lock, stock and two smoking barrels was a breath of fresh air. Just as British music had responded to the prevalence of US alt-rock and grunge with something equally exciting in the form of Britpop, so did Guy Ritchie respond to the achingly cool catalogues of the likes of Quentin Tarantino with a very British take on the gangster film. It was an intricately plotted movie featuring a gang of four lads very much out of their depth in a seedy underworld of drug dealing, high stakes poker games and double crossing. And it was about as British as Queen Elizabeth II on board a Routemaster bus with some fish and chips and a beef eater for company. The film came out with a brilliant soundtrack bursting with all the energy found on the screen. James Brown, The Stone Roses, Junior Mervyn, Dusty Springfield and The Stooges. There was also a fantastic tune on there by the Easy Rollers that bristled with a kinetic drum and bass fury. Walk This Land mixed dub with trip hop and electronica, the perfect song to accompany a montage of small time crooks playing the big guys. suspects, the Baz Luhrmann take on Romeo and Juliet, and Inception. I first came across him when he appeared as the Victorian conman Montague Tigg in the BBC adaptation of Charles Dickens's Martin Chuzzlewit. However, only a couple of years later, he would then appear as Dammy Ormondroid, the conductor of a brass band in a tight-knit mining community, Grimley, a fictionalised version of Grimethorpe. The film is set right at the point when the Grimley mine is about to close, sending all the miners into the uncertainty of mass unemployment in a place where mining is all that anyone has ever known. On the face of it, the film could easily be lumped into that rather long list of British movies where some plucky northerners try their hand at something to the surprise of everyone around them. Billy Elliot, The Four Monty, the forthcoming Phantom of the Open. Generally, I find these kind of films rather condescending, patronising, almost like someone's put up a big electric fence around St Anne's in Nottingham, a sign saying please do not feed the animals, and a booth from which to charge Chelsea-booted families to point and stare at the specimens on display. For me though, Brastoff is a cut above, 
capturing so much of the fear, anger, pain and loss of mass unemployment. There are painful scenes of characters being visited by bailiffs, of a mother unable to afford to buy sanitary products and at one point one character unable to imagine things getting any better in any way attempting to take his own life. It's a film about desperation and desperate sadness. Much of the soundtrack is performed by the Grimethorpe Colliery Band. One of the most notable musical moments from the film comes when Tara Fitzgerald's character Gloria returns to Grimley as a consultant at the mine to conduct a viability study of the pit. While she's in town, she joins the band to play flugelhorn and, at her first rehearsal, plays a flawless rendition of Rodrigo's Concerto de Ranweth. It's a gloriously beautiful piece of music, perfectly capturing the rich texture of the film, all that passion, anger, love and loss. Brass bands have a certain reputation, middle-aged men in crimson red uniforms playing the floral dance at Village Fates. But Brastoff demonstrates just how beautiful music performed on cornets, flugelhorns, trombones and tenor horns can be. If you like this, you'll love Hannah Peel's Mary Cassio, Journey to Cassiopeia, which she recorded with tubular brass and which I've featured on this podcast before. And you may also like Sea Power's Sea of Brass, on which they reinterpreted songs from their own back catalogue with the help of Fodden's band. But for now, let's listen to a bit of Rodrigo's Concerto de Ranweth. In the height of Cool Britannia reverie, in the year that Tony Blair entered Downing Street and then invited Noel Gallagher, Alan McGee, Harry Enfield and Ben Elton round for drinks and nibbles, a rather charming, if lightweight, British comedy film came out starring Stuart Townsend and Dan Futterman 
as a couple of small-time con artist friends who live in a decommissioned gas cylinder while vying for the attention of Kate Beckinsale's manic pixie dream girl with an actual pixie cut and ancestral home to boot, Georgie. The film was called Shooting Fish. This bouncy bubblegum flavoured film came with a suitably bouncy bubblegum flavoured indie pop soundtrack. Space, the Blue Tones, Dubstar and the Supernaturals all make an appearance, as could only be expected in 1997. The closing credits featured the Divine Comedy on spectacular symphonic form, with a song lifted from their latest release at the time, a short album about love. In Pursuit of Happiness is an absolute belter of a tune, starting off with some raucous brass, shuffling into a compound time thrill ride that rises and rises until those blasting trumpets with their driving rhythm return and send the whole thing off into a mesmerising intense swirl of orchestral magnificence. It's a spectacular piece of songwriting, showing that violins, trombones and flutes need not always be the preserve of Beethoven, Bach and Bartok. Hey, I love the time To sail one thing and do another And if it's alright Kinda like to be your lover Cause when you're with me I can't help but be So desperately, uncontrollably happy And hey, I'm not the kind To fall in love without good reason And if that's a crime Then baby I'm committing high treason when you're with me, I'm absolutely and totally quiet and controllably happy. I'm not so blind that I can't see where we're all going, and it's no fault of mine if humankind reaps what it's sowing. Just as long as we are together forever, I'll never be. ago, Edward Norton came out with his directorial debut, Keeping the Faith, in which he appeared as a Roman Catholic priest, Father Brian Finn, opposite Ben Stiller, in his second appearance in this podcast, starring as Rabbi Jake Schramm. Because it's a romantic comedy, they both have to fall in love with the same woman, Anna Riley, their old school friend, played by Jenna Elfman, which proves problematic for both men, what with rabbis being expected not to date non-Jews and Catholic priests being expected not to date at all. Around the to and froing of the romantic will-they-won't-they-should-they-shouldn't-they 
Keeping the faith has a fair bit to say about religion and faith. Norton and Stiller's characters may be in love with the same woman, but they also find much else in common, working together to help people in their local community in and around New York. As is exposed in the main plot involving Anna Riley, there's a fair bit of religiosity that causes no end of problems. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that, just because. What the characters in this film find, though, is that the bits about their faith that are warm and nourishing and utterly appealing are the bits that are open and inviting to other people, being inclusive and loving, being accepting. The music for Keeping the Faith was written by Alma Bernstein in one of his last soundtrack projects before his death. As you might expect from the New York-born composer behind the film scores for The Great Escape, The Magnificent Seven and The Blues Brothers, the music for the film sounds like New York. Take Church and Temple, for example, with its groovy, fast-moving upright bass, muted trumpets, wailing clarinet and a piano that sounds like it's being tickled rather than played. There's a nod to the rhythm of The Best Is Yet To Come, famously sung by Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett. It positively buzzes with energy and a feeling of fun and delight. And it goes something like this. surprise to me that I have songs recorded by Justin Timberlake in my accumulation of albums. But then I remember, the former Mr Britney Spears may have brought Sexy back, but he also appeared alongside Carey Mulligan, Oscar Isaac and the prerequisite John Goodman in the Coen Brothers tribute to Greenwich Village, Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis captures something of what it was like in New York's vibrant folk scene in the moments before its most famous of stars, one Robert Zimmerman, stole the show from everyone else. The story follows the titular Davis as he struggles to scrape a living for himself following the death of his partner in music. His story is loosely based on the real-life biography of Dave Van Ronk, whose songs pepper the soundtrack. The soundtrack to the movie is one of my favourite collections of songs from film, as it is not only a good reminder of the film itself, but also a good introduction to the mood and feel and sound of a generation of folk heroes from across the Atlantic. Take, for example, The Old Triangle, about life in an Irish prison, originally written by one of two men from Dublin in the early 50s, either Dick Shannon or Brendan Behan, before going over to America. Fans of Alt-J will recognise it for its use in the song Adeline from their third album, Relaxer. But possibly the most interesting of songs in terms of its origin comes in the form of Please Mr Kennedy, as performed by Justin Timberlake, Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac. Within the film, Oscar Isaac's character, Lewin, is reluctantly persuaded to join in the recording of the novelty song. Desperate for the money, any money, 
he takes an immediate payment of $200 rather than wait for any royalties to come in. It's a decision he later regrets when the song becomes an unlikely hit. As it appears in the film, Please Mr Kennedy is a fairly silly song about a man not wanting to be forced into going on a rocket and out into space, which nicely pinpoints the song historically at the dawn of the space race. However, it turns out the song has a more complicated history. In 1962, the Gold Coast singers put out a song also called Please Mr Kennedy, whose tune Timberlake driver Isaac and the Coen brothers clearly used, which revolves around the theme not of being press-ganged into going up into space, but of wanting to avoid the Vietnam draft. That song may, in turn, have been borrowed from a Tamla Motown song of the same name, sung by Mickey Woods from the previous year. But then, a year previous to that, there was another song during the round, sung by Larry Verne, and written by Al DeLore, Fred Darien, and Joseph Van Winkle. That song was called Please Mr Custer and focused on the historical plight of a soldier not wanting to get caught up in the Battle of Little Bighorn. I had a dream last night about the coming fight. Somebody yelled attack and there I stood with an arrow in my back. All of which provides quite the convoluted history of a song that appears as little more than a funny aside in what's otherwise a thoughtful and occasionally gloomy film about a struggling musician. That said, I really do rather like Please Mr Kennedy, and I think, what with Adam Driver's overdramatic countdowns, that you will too. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh -oh. I don't want to go. Please, don't you show me in the outer space. Oh, please. please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh -oh. I don't want to go. Please, don't you show me in the outer space. I sweat when they stuff me in the pressure suits. Bubble helmet, dashboard, and boots. Nowhere up there in gravity zero. I need to breathe, don't need to be a hero. And are you reading me loud and clear? Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. I don't wanna go. Don't show me out of space. Please, Mr. Kennedy. I don't wanna go. Don't show me out of space. I'm six foot two, and so perhaps you'll tell me how to fit into a five foot capsule. I won't be known as man of the century If I'm blubbering upon re-entry Got a red-blooded wife with a healthy libido You'll lose her vote if you make her a widow And who'll play catch out in the back with our kid? Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy Let's finish in gloomy form with a song from a film about heroin addiction. Last time I did a podcast about songs from the cinema, I featured the mesmerising theme tune from another film about that subject, Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream. This time round, the film in question comes from slightly closer to home. Well, if you're listening in the UK, that is. It's Danny Boyle's Trainspotting. Think of the songs from Trainspotting and you'll most likely recall either the song Lust for Life by Iggy Pop, which soundtracked the chase sequence at the beginning of the film with that narration about choose life, choose a job, 
She's a career, she's a family, she's a fucking big television, she's washing machines, cars, compact disc players and electrical tin openers. Or you'll maybe think of Lou Reed's Perfect Day from his 1972 Transformer album used to accompany Renton succumbing to yet another hit. Blur's Sing from their 1991 debut Leisure appears at one of the film's bleakest moments following the death of a baby born to a heroin addict. It's an absolutely perfect choice for a song about hitting the very bottom, a feeling lost and numb and hopeless, unable to carry on or even see a way to carry on. It opens with a ghostly, throbbing set of piano chords before Damon Albarn's doom-laden Spartan vocals hove into view. I can't feel, because I'm numb, so what's the worth? in all of this. The music rises, spaced out, shimmery, shoegazy effects and all. It builds and builds and builds, intensifying as if the abyss we've all been gazing into has started to not just gaze back, but rise up out of the darkness, intent on swallowing all of us whole. It's one of the finest songs on the Trainspotting soundtrack, one of the finest songs in Blur's back catalogue. songs in the key of cinema. I hope you enjoyed them. Let me know what songs from movies are particularly floating your boat at the moment by commenting on the Instagram post for this episode. I'll be back with some more songs in the key of something or other else sometime or other soon. In the meantime, have a marvellous few days and nights till we meet again.